0: Welcome to episode 155 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux news From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. Join me as we check out what's new in the Linux world. Plus, I'll give you my take as a Linux user for over 20 years now. Coming up on this week's episode, the KDE team announced the release of KDE Plasma 5.22. And we've also got news for KDE Plasma's or KDE's Plasma Mobile. In app news, we'll talk about the latest release of the Vivaldi web browser and also update you on the new Matrix client from KDE NeoChat. Then I'll tell you about a cool project for touchpa- touchpad gestures for the Linux desktop experience. Plus, we've got great news from the Collabora team related to Wayland support of Wine. And we'll also cover some news from the folks at Purism. And later in the show, we've got some legal news from the Supreme Court. All that, so much more coming up on this week's episode of Twill, your weekly source for Linux good news. <music> Up first in the show this week, we're going to be talking about KDE Plasma 5.22 as it has been released. And for those who are new to the show, you might not be aware. I am a fan of KDE Plasma, a big fan of KDE Plasma. I am a fan of KDE in general, but Plasma specifically is awesome and my preferred desktop environment. So. Obviously, I'm quite excited to talk about it on the show. There's a lot of new features in 5.22. We're going to talk about it in more of a summary, and then I'll go into more details about what is all in 5.22. So first of all, the summary... There is a new adaptive panel transparency feature. There's a new speed dial system for the system settings. There's also uh, improvements to the redesigning of the digital clock and the calendar applets as well as making it possible to select audio device profiles from the volume widget on the panel, which is really cool. The clipboard contents are now easily accessible through a shortcut. KRunner now shows more text for certain uh, results and also the Plasma system monitor is replacing KSysguard and there's fantastic news with there's a lot more enhancements and improvements to the Wayland support for KDE Plasma 522, as well as some improvements for doing offline updates and that sort of stuff. So let's talk about more details about what these things are. So first of all, let's talk about uh, adaptive panel transparency. Now, before we get into that, there, I'm not going to cover everything in details. So if you want to learn more about the full details of all the stuff, I'll have links in the show notes for you to do that. But adaptive panel transparency. This means that the panel and the panel widgets can become translucent. Uh, you know, most of the time they can be translucent. And then later, let's when you maximize a window, it will turn it opaque, which is a nice way of having it be able to focus on the work that you're doing rather than taking away, you know, because you have your uh, like a black opaque bar next to the black layout of the monitor it kind of blends in better and it allows you to focus more on it versus having like a really bright uh, transparent wallpaper behind it and that sort of stuff so this is a really cool thing i think it's a nice touch to be able to do that however if you want to have it always translucent or always opaque you can do that too so that's cool next up we're going to talk about the system settings they have a new speed dial system so uh, for those who are not aware, System Settings is the application that lets you configure pretty much anything you can think of in KDE Plasma, uh, though this can be a bit uh, confusing when you first start getting into Plasma because there is a lot of stuff you can change. Uh, so this is really nice to see that in 5.22, they have introduced a new like speed dial type of page that allows you to have quick settings or quick access to some of the various like commonly or frequently used settings and that sort of stuff. So for example, it gives you the ability to uh, quickly jump to different settings, but also directly on the speed dial, basically yourself. You could change the wallpaper, change the theme, uh, change the animation speed. You could even choose whether or not you want to use a double click versus the default single click. And that's uh, for those who are long-term Twillers, you'll know that I'm quite happy to see that on the speed dial. Now, there are a bunch of other things that have happened in 5.22. For example, there's the new uh, support for a shortcut in Clipper. Now, Clipper is the clipboard manager. And when you, you know, you paste something, it's control V typically. In this particular uh, change, they have now added a super V, which is the Windows key or logo key or whatever you want to call it. The Super V uh, activates the clipboard mon- uh, manager wherever your mouse is, which is really easy to s- switch around. Like, you know, if you copy text to your clipboard, you can now have it really easy to select and change, but like maybe you copied five or six things you want to go back to the number three or whatever. This is a really nice feature to have. And Clipper has been around for a long time, but they made the shortcut uh, really nice. I think that Super V is a really good shortcut to make it easier for people. Now, quick tip, if you are new to Plasma and you want to use Clipper, uh, you might want to change the default configurations. I think they have either seven or eight by default. And uh, you might want to increase the amount of things in the clipboard, as well as I don't, I I would suggest disabling the select add to add to clipboard through selections, because if you select something and don't actually want to copy it, it'll still go there. So you might want to check that out. But uh, you can change the default to, I think, 999 entries. I don't know why you would need that many, but I think you can. So that's cool. I go about 50 or whatever, but you can choose whatever you want. Anyway, there's also a lot of other cool stuff like the uh, disabling of offline updates for those who don't want offline updates. Now, if you don't know what that means, essentially it means that you can install the updates and then restart to actually, well, technically you're downloading the updates, restarting, and during restart, it installs the updates. The reason for this is that some packages in your system do need to be restarted in order to actually have them activate. So for example, if you update the kernel or you update the mesa drivers or, you know, stuff like that that are core pieces of the system, if you don't restart, you will not get those features and new packages installed and activated. And in some cases, depending on what the package is, you could actually start experiencing bugs that will require a restart anyway. So, this is a cool feature of making like the offline updates is a ability to Inform you that you need to restart once you install some some package that needs that to happen. And uh, those who don't want that though will now have an option to disable the offline updates inside of system settings. So there you go. That's nice that they made that possible. Uh, but I do think that the restarting is a reasonable thing, especially with like kernel and Mesa drivers and whatnot. Uh, there's also some changes to like the Plasma System Monitor replacing KSysGuard, which is nice. Now KSysGuard has been useful for a long time, but it also feels dated. Whereas Plasma System Monitor looks much more modern, and it has a lot of cool like modifications for like different modules and stuff like that. So really nice to see that one being added, and also the changes to the volume widget, being able to select which audio device profile to use at any given time, really quickly. Very very nice. So that is really really appreciated. Now there's a lot of other stuff. I'll have links in the show notes for the d- full details of all the things. Uh, but if you are curious about how to get Plasma 522? Well, a desktop environment is a huge component to update in a system. And KDE Plasma is arguably the most powerful and therefore complex DE. So with that said, it really depends on the distro itself. For example, like rolling release distros like Arch or OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, they may already have it. And specifically OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, I can tell you that they do have it already available. Uh, But other distributions like static release distros, it may be a while. It may take some weeks or months even for some distros to get the latest release. For example, Fedora is likely to have it relatively soon, week or so, a couple weeks for the testing and stuff like that. But with something like Kubuntu, you will get that by default in 21.10 release in October. However, with Kubuntu, there's also the uh, backports PPA. And they've already made it available so if you install uh kubuntu 2104 by default you'll get the previous version but if you want to upgrade it to 522 you can do that by activating the backports ppa i'll have a link for how to do that if you'd like to in the show notes as well now there's a lot of cool stuff in kde plasma 522 depending on your distro you may have it available already you may not you may have to wait a little bit but it'll be worth the wait because plasma is awesome And uh, I can't wait to play with it more, because I I am also impatient, so therefore I've already tested it out with the Backports PPA, and also Fedora Rawhide, because I want to. But, you may have to wait a little bit. Anyway, KDE Plasma 522, or 5.22, it's not 522, it's 5.22, whatever. Fantastic, thank you so much for the team, KDE, and... Yeah, link in the show notes for all the full details of this latest release. Up next in the show, we got some more KDE news. And first of all, we're going to talk about Academy, which is happening next week. It's going to be starting at the 18th of June and it'll be going till the 25th. So it's like a week long process. And it's got a lot of cool stuff. They're going to tell you you can find out all the stuff that KDE is working on throughout the week. And it's really, really awesome. But that's next week. So we'll talk about more in depth then. But for now, Just so you know, it is happening. Uh, Let's now talk about KDE Plasma Mobile because Plasma Mobile is a really cool project from the KDE team. They're making a mobile desktop environment for smartphones, which is Plasma Mobile this release adds new applications and there's a lot of work being done to make those applications work on the flat hub which is really cool to see and we're going to talk about you know some of these applications a little bit more in depth one uh, really in depth later on but there's going to be uh just there's a lot of stuff in this one so I'm going to have a link in the show notes for the specific details of each application and what all has been added to this latest version. Cause if you want to dig in, I'll have links there. Uh, also there's a more po- powerful audio overlay being done to the shell. So it allows for quickly controlling application volumes, switching inputs and outputs and controlling the volumes of the various different, uh, applications and stuff like that. So really, really cool. Now let's talk about the applications. There's some that are new, some that are just updated. You know, we're gonna talk about a lot. So first of all, there's a new Mastodon client called Toc- Uh, I think, Tokadon, Tokadon. I'm going to go with that one. It just, it sounds like it's right. It's probably not, but uh, I think it is. There's also an, a Matrix client update for NeoChat. We'll go into more detail later on for NeoChat. There's also uh, Alligator got an update, uh, Peruse, which uh, Alligator is a feed reader for RSS readers. Uh, Peruse is for comic book readers. Uh, AngelFish is a web browser. Spacebar is the text message or SMS application. There's also an update for Elisa, Ocular, and Calendori. Elisa being the music player, Ocular being the very awesome document viewer, which is available on Plasma Desktop in general. It's, uh, also, Elisa is too, or Elisa, I don't know. Uh, Calendori is a good name for a calendar. I like that. The default calendar app for KDE's like uh, contact suite which the context suite name is kind of confusing too, is I think K organizer. I think Calendori. That's a I, I, it works. I like it. Also, there's an uh, V-Vave or it's supposed to be. I don't know if it's supposed to be wave in the way you pronounce it, but it's two V's to look like a W. So it's Vwave. I don't know. Audio player. There's also some updates to the KDE itinerary application, which is an itinerary management for like you know doing travel and plans for like plane trips and that sort of stuff. There's also K trip which is a navigator for public transport, which is very interesting, very, very interesting. So having all of these applications in Plasma Mobile being made by KDE is really cool. When I first heard Plasma Mobile was being made, I thought, huh, they're making a mobile version of Plasma. That's cool. And I didn't really think much of it other than that. But the fact that they're actually putting all this effort into making a full-blown experience with KDE Plasma Mobile is just awesome because making applications that are specific for... Features like the K Trip or the K- KDE itinerary and that sort of stuff is really cool. Plus, the Casts uh, application for podcasts. And also, uh, there's even a thing called Plasma Tube, which is a YouTube player basically. Really, really cool. Really happy to see all the work being done on Plasma Mobile. Very, very awesome. If you want to see more of the details about various different changes in the different applications like Alligator or Peruse or Calendori and et cetera, I'll have links in the show notes below for the latest. June update for Plasma Mobile. Since we're in the mobile side of Linux, let's talk about Purism. Purism has announced that the USA edition of the Librem 5 Linux-based smartphone is now available for shipping. I've covered the Librem 5 on this show previously, and let's just say, well, Purism has had an interesting history. For those that don't know, the Librem 5 crowdfunding campaign was done in 2017, and during the campaign, Purism said that the Librem 5 would ship in January 2019. Obviously that was not the case. And there have been some controversies around purism over the years. You know, when they did start shipping the devices, they did it in batches, and these batches were known to have flaws in the hardware. And there were some reports of people saying that some of the early batches were as if they were shipping prototypes. And they were they were upfront about this and the with the issues in the batches, but still controversy came from this. As one backer put it, so backers are now paying to be beta testers. So, you know, I can understand why people were be a little bit Annoyed by that. They're also launched a NVMO, MVNO called AllSim, which is a mobile phone service with kind of a weird structure where Purism owns the phone numbers, not the customers. And they say it was for anonymity purposes, but there are some issues with that. People have uh, with that. So that's why that's a controversy. There's also... Uh, I guess arguably the biggest controversy is the claims that, that uh, people have claimed that they have been refused to issue refunds to backers of the crowdfunder. So, understandably, that would be annoying if that's the case. Now, I'm not offering an opinion on these controversies. I'm just saying the company has an interesting history. Well, back to the topic at hand. Peerism has announced on their blog that the Libram 5 USA Edition is now shipping. And customers can expect their orders to arrive approximately in six to eight weeks. Some good news is that apparently due to some supply chain shortages the ram has been upgraded from three gigabytes of ram to four gigabytes of ram although they do say that the cpu will still report that it's three gigs but it is four gigs and for those who are unaware the difference between the Librem 5 and the Librem 5 usa is the origin of the parts that are used in the phone as well as where it's being assembled it is stated that most of the parts are sourced from usa though not all of them but most of them And the Librem 5 will run you around $800, and the Librem 5 USA edition has a list price of $1,999. That's right. For about $2,000, you can get a Librem 5 USA if for some reason you want one. Now, there are other Linux-based alternatives to the Librem 5 that aim to do similar things. In particular, one of them has a list price for around $200, or about 10% the cost of the USA edition. But do, that, do with that information what you will. But if you decide to get a Librem 5, whether it's a USA edition or not, I would very much like to know what your experience is with it. So please leave a comment below or also on the DLN forum. You can join the DLN forum and there's a thread for this episode there. And you can let me know about what you think of the Libra 5 if you do have one or if you get a Libra 5 USA and etc. that kind of thing, or just what you think about this topic. I have a link in, in the show notes for the DLN, the DLN forum thread as well. And also for more information about the Librem 5 USA shipping news and that sort of stuff, I'll have links for that in the show notes as well. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform is a service that allows you to build modern cloud-native apps on their droplets. Basically, what it allows you to do is build, deploy, manage, and scale apps using their platform with multiple different types of languages. So if you want to write in Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, or Ruby, you can do that. It also has support for static sites, container images, and Docker. It has offered the ability for high scalability and... Uh, zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, you simply point your GitHub or your GitLab repository to the app platform and it does all the heavy lifting for you, like handling your infrastructure, like app runtimes and dependencies and all that sort of stuff. So you can just push code to production in a few clicks. It basically makes it possible to create code and then have it build this app for you and you just let it go, which is really cool because essentially what it does is that it it analyzes your code, creates containers for those code, for that code, and also then runs it on Kubernetes clusters. So you just basically you don't have to do much customization and sometimes no customization, and you can do it really quickly with just a few clicks. It also does um, secure, uh, securing your apps automatically through like creating um, creating, managing and renewing SSL certificates, also helping protect against uh, DDoS attacks and that sort of stuff. Really cool stuff. Uh, As a listener of This Week in Linux podcast, you can actually get started for free. No, wait, better than free. Because as a member of the DLN community, you can get a $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Previously on Twill, we covered Gnome 40. And in that news, we talked about their work on adding touchpad gestures to the desktop environment and how I was excited to see that happening and that I wanted every DE to do that. Well, I received a few comments on that episode informed me of something awesome that I had never heard about. And it turns out that there is a project that has been around for a long time to do exactly that, touchpad gestures for navigation and whatever else you want. And it works seemingly with any X11-based window manager. And so I immediately put it on my applications to be like watched for the show, to be covered on the show. And well, we're covering it today. And that is a project called ToucheAgue. Now, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to say it that way because they have an accent mark on it. It's Touchegg, but ToucheAgue. And to is an app that runs in the background and transforms the gestures that you make on your touchpad or touchscreen into actions on your desktop. For example, you can swipe up with three fingers to maximize a window or swipe left with four fingers to switch different desktops and all sorts of stuff. You can customize it to make it work how Mac OS does, or you can customize it however you want it to be. And there's many, many more actions you can do and many different gestures you can do as well, like pinch to zoom and that sort of stuff. Plus, it seems like you can customize it to do all sorts of stuff, not just system navigation and that sort of stuff. So, it's very, very cool. It has support for multiple window managers. I couldn't find a manager it didn't support, but I also weren't, I wasn't looking that far, honestly, because there's like hundreds or window managers. So, I didn't check all of them. But,. Uh, they have support for different distributions like uh, Ubuntu or Debian based distributions, uh, Red Hat and Fedora based distributions, uh, Arch and also Arch based distributions like Manjaro and that sort of stuff. There's even support for Void Linux and a variety of different things. It's really interesting. And the latest release came out a couple of days ago. And I just had to talk about it because, one, it's a fun name to say, to shake, and, and also... There's like so many cool features you can do with it. I, I actually haven't been able to try it out myself because, well, I don't have a touchpad. I do have a touchpad on my laptop, but my, it's like, it's tiny. It's like the like a quarter of a phone. Like it's a super tiny touchpad and not the best experience uh, uh, really. So I don't think it'd be in a fair comparison, a fair test for this. So Can't really give a, a recommendation for this because I haven't been able to try it out, but it does look pretty awesome. And if you have a touchpad that's reasonably sized on your laptop, or if you have an external touchpad, it might be worth giving it a shot. I personally, it has me tempted to just buy an external touchpad to play with it because it looks awesome. Now, real quick, if you are a GNOME user, you also be able to use this is this, uh, this project if you want to, but you'll need to install an extension to make it work. So there is that. There's there's instructions on their GitHub that explains how to do that and that sort of stuff. And also KDE Plasma users, there's a pro- like a separate project that takes the Touche project and enhances it for Plasma. So. If you want to check that out, I have that linked in the show notes as well. But really, really cool. I was just, uh, I was blown away when I saw this. And also the fact that it's been around for like 10 years. I didn't even know about it. Wow. Anyway, so uh, Touche 2.0.10 is available right now. And if you want to check it out, I'll have links in the show notes below. First and foremost, I want to start this topic by saying, I am in no way, shape, or form a lawyer. So my interpretation of the following topic should be taken merely as a random person's opinion on the internet. Okay, now that that's said, let's talk about the Van Buren decision from the Supreme Court. First of all, this decision relates to the CFAA or the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. This law has been described as the federal computer crime law that has been misused to prosecute uh, beneficial and important online activity. Now what exactly that means, I'll clarify in a second. So the EFF or the Electronic Frontier Foundation states that the Supreme Court's Van Buren decision is a victory for all Internet users as it confirmed that online services cannot use the CFAA's criminal provisions to enforce limitations on how or why you use their service, including for purposes such as collecting evidence of discrimination or identifying security vulnerabilities and that sort of stuff they they also say that it also rejected the use of troubling physical world analogies and theory, legal theories to interpret the law. Now that relates to like trespass laws and that sort of stuff trying to say that that somehow is, you know, related some way to this, which I'm glad that they, you know, they rejected that part. So they also um uh, the EFF also says that the overturning uh, a dangerous precedent is also important because they, uh, they talked about the ways of the exceeding authorized access phrasing inside of the CFA, CFAA. So the Supreme Court's uh, Van Buren decision limits the CFAA's pro, uh, prohibition on uh, exceeding authorized access to prohibiting someone from accessing particular computer files, services, or other parts of the computer that are otherwise off-limits to them, but not necessarily just – in the way of terms of service could be phrased. So this is this is good because it overturns a decision from the 11th circuit that permitted CFAA's liability based on someone violating a website's terms of service or an employer's uh, computer use restrictions. Now, the, the reason why this is good is that it ensures that, you know, important actions like you know, being a leg- legitimate computer use, for example, like security researchers and you know people who are looking for security vulnerabilities and that sort of stuff, couldn't be classified as committing a crime because they violated terms of service that says you're not allowed to do something or another. And because of the previous thing, the terms of service had a lot of power, which uh, it was a little shocking that it had so much power. in based on the previous decisions, but it's really nice to see that the SCOTUS has rejected that part. Not in full, there's some things I'll have a link in the show notes for the EFF's uh, talk about this or their blog post about this if you want to learn more about the the whole encompassing of the topic. Uh, but so there are there are some things that are a little bit up in the air, uh, but there it, it is really great that they see that they have done you know what they have done. It is good. It's also especially good news for security researchers whose work discovering like security vulnerabilities is vital to the public interest, but also, often requires accessing computers in ways that don't always fit within a terms of service, so to speak. So, this is really nice. If you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show this week is the Vivaldi web browser, because Vivaldi 4.0 has been released, and it brings a lot of new interesting features to this Chromium-based browser. In 4.0, they have introduced Vivaldi Translate and the much-awaited beta versions of Vivaldi Mail, Calendar, and Feed Reader are available. So Vivaldi Translate, the way they describe it is, and I quote, a built-in privacy-friendly translation feature powered by Lingvinex and hosted by Vivaldi, keeping translations out of the reach of companies like Google or Microsoft, end quote. So essentially what they're doing is that they're using the the software and the tools from Lingvinex and are hosting it themselves on their servers. So it's going towards Vivaldi using that tool rather than using Google or Microsoft's uh, like Bing Translate and that sort of stuff. So depending on whether that matters to you, maybe this will be worth checking out. So also uh, there's Vivaldi Mail Calendar and Vivaldi Feed Reader that are uh, as beta versions related into this release now they're not fully available but they have been people have been wanting those for a long time and it actually these features re- heavily remind me of the days of Opera 12 and well the time before Opera was sold off to become yet another chromium fork because uh, Opera used to be a very interesting browser that had its own rendering engine, uh, a lot of innovative tools including mail clients and calendars and that sort of stuff and also here's the thing. Many of the people behind Vivaldi used to be behind Opera during that era. So this is very interesting to see all of these components being added to Vivaldi because they kind of reminiscent of Opera or the previous Opera. Uh, Opera used to be jam-packed with various things like this mail client and calendar and that sort of stuff. So seeing this stuff, it's pretty cool. While I do think Vivaldi is a cool browser with a lot of interesting features, I'm still going to stick with Firefox because Vivaldi is just yet another Chrome fork or Chromium fork. It's even a proprietary Chromium fork at that. So Vivaldi is free to use as in gratis, but it's not open source. I still think Vivaldi has a lot of potential and it's cool browser and it's got a lot of great features that I would like to have in Firefox in, in some cases. But for me personally, I'm going to stick with Firefox because they understand the importance of open source. And another very important piece is that it also means that I don't have to participate in Google's control of the Internet because Google is trying to get more and more control through this Chromium-based browser ecosystem. If you're not aware, Chromium is a browser made by Google, so every browser that is just another Chromium fork is helping Google control more and more of the Internet. And I, for one, hated the era where websites would create stuff saying, best viewed in Internet Explorer... Uh, I'm certainly not going to be participating in helping that nonsense happen with like best view in Chrome or whatever. I don't want to help that error exist. So no thanks there. But I will say they handled the history system inside of Vivaldi really cool. They break it down in like a calendar layout and like theoretically have easier navigation because of this. But also they include reports, which is pretty interesting. So you can kind of like get an overview of your history uh, as you use the browser. It's a pretty cool idea. And also, it is quite interesting that Vivaldi says they are not going to be participating in Flock, which is the federated learning of cohorts. Uh, If you don't know what that means, well, be sure to join us tomorrow for the live recording of Destination Linux podcast, because we're going to be talking about Flock a little bit more in depth there. Anyway, with that said, if you want to check out Vivaldi, which I admit is a nice browser with a lot of enticing features, uh, I'll have links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. If you're not familiar, Bitwarden is a password manager that is awesome. It allows you to get a peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Well, how does it do that? Well, briefly, let's talk about like why you need to have it secure, because you need to have a different password for every account on every website. Now, that's a a lot of stuff to keep track with because you need to make sure your passwords are strong but also unique to every account on every website and it sounds like a good policy right but that's a nightmare to deal with but that is where bitwarden comes in because it provides tools to allow you to do all this stuff and have you know it's no it's painless really so you have a different uh, tool for for each of these facets so for example you can have a, pa- a password generator to automatically create the passwords for you and have a password vault that will store all those passwords for you and then also you can have them automatically fill in the passwords, so you don't have to do it yourself lots of great features that are in Bitwarden and you can access all of this data across many different types of devices. You can have all those tools on your uh, your browser on your desktop. You can have a desktop application a mobile application or even on the command line if you want to do that as well. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. It does it locally on your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because in addition to all of these great features it's also 100 percent open source software. I've been using it for a long time, way before they became sponsors of the show. And I was incredibly excited when they wanted to become sponsors because Bitwarden is a fantastic piece of software to get peace of mind, knowing that the software is open source and that my data is secure. And they also do third-party auditing, which they they bring in auditing firms to uh, check out the code to make sure it is safe as possible. And that's fantastic because they also release that data publicly on their blog when they do those audits. And you can get your account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Did I mention it's for free? You can do it for free. But they also have premium accounts where you can get a bunch of extra features including organizational stuff and business stuff where you can manage multiple different accounts. It's fantastic. And it only starts at less than $1 per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gets you access to one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more for just $10 per year. That's right. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get your peace of mind for your passwords and other sensitive data. And also get that premium account because you'll be able to help... Support them, letting them know you are pre- you appreciate them supporting open source and the supporting the This Week in Linux podcast. So go to bitwarden.com to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. For the past few months, Calabra has been working on an experimental Wayland driver for Wine. This driver will allow Windows applications to run directly on Wayland compositors with the goal to eventually remove the need for X wayland as much as possible. Now... This latest release of their driver adds many new features such as Vulcan support, multi-monitor support, H, uh, high DPI handling, uh, cursor clipping relative to movement and stuff like that. I'll also, uh, Wayland key map handling and a bunch of stuff. I want to talk about this because I think it's really great that they're working on this because, you know, having wine support on Wayland is very important, uh, especially with, you know, having, uh, applications from windows applications and also games being through like proton and that sort of stuff. It's very, very important. I'm really happy that there's I a mean, multiple different uh, projects and companies working on this kind of thing. And uh, Calabra is doing that with this uh, this, Wayland, this Wayland driver for Wine, and with the Vulkan support, it comes with window management handling like resizing and full-screening, and can be used with either directly or to implement with uh, through direct uh, uh, D3D or Direct3D through the Wine d3d project or the dxvk project also the Wayland driver now exposes multiple monitor support for wine this is very important because it, in addition to the, the having support for the resolution for dynamic, uh, for different uh, monitors it also has the ability to uh, change the application's perceived resolution for each monitor so you can have you can have like per monitor mode changes and that's pretty cool and also the cursor clipping is very important because this is essentially like being able to isolate the mouse to a game because if you uh, if you've ever had an experience where you're moving your mouse and it kind of leaves the game and then it like starts activating into the desktop it's not you want to have it clipped inside of the game that way when you move it infinitely around it uh, affects the game itself so that's that that's why that part is important and anyway if you want to learn more about this And all the work that Collabra is doing, I'll have links to the blog post in the show notes below. Up next in the show is NeoChat 1.2 has been released. This is a new major release of the open source Matrix chat client. And this week I gained a new appreciation for how Matrix works. More on that later at the end of the topic. But for now, NeoChat 1.2 brings a lot of cool features, including some that makes it on par with certain things in Element and also better than Element in a lot of ways. First up, we're going to talk about the message bubbles. Now, admittedly, this is a minor change. It changes the way the text displays in the chat to have bubbles around the different messages. But it does modernize the experience, which will probably make your chatting more enjoyable because it's, it's easier to identify messages between like uh, different people, but also messages that are not necessarily... Uh, you know, time difference because sometimes it's hard to tell when a message was sent because you have to hover to show the timestamp and that sort of stuff. This is a way to organize it much better, which which is really, really cool. Also, there are some other major changes for uh, NeoChat 1.2 because it adds an account switcher at the bottom of the window to make it easier to switch between multiple accounts. Now it's had the ability to do multiple accounts for a while but this change makes it much easier to switch which is very important to a lot of people who want to have multiple accounts in their matrix chats so very cool also NeoChat 1.2 completely revamps the text input section of this the application such as adding the ability to use the up arrow key to quickly edit the last written message i do that all the time by the way uh, not that i edit my messages but that I, when i do the edits i always use the up key because that's just so much faster so anyway i like that also being able to autocomplete uh with including support for autocomplete of chat commands which is really cool so you just hit uh the uh, the slash command the slash button and then hit tab to see the different options for the autocomplete very very cool cuz autocomplete is awesome and it i mean every chat application that i have ever used that didn't have it i was disappointed and and having it is so awesome to have it. Now they, they they already had autocomplete in general, but this is a way to have it through the commands, which is awesome. So they also did some other stuff. Like they have um uh there's a, there's a unique feature that Matrix has that not all applications have, like Telegram doesn't have it and that sort of stuff, where you can react to a message without directly replying to that message. So for example, you could add emoticons and stuff like that as reactions to the message without replying. Whereas NeoChat does have this feature and it's had that for a while, but they also introduce the ability to create customized reactions rather than relying on default stuff available for like emoticons, which is really cool. So you could just have a reaction that is text but not really a reply. It's really interesting. Uh, Plus, the NeoChat 1.2 also adds support for matrix URIs or URLs basically. So it's easier now to open matrix links from web browsers into NeoChat, which is always nice. Makes it easier to jump through different rooms and that kind of thing. And also 1.2 adds support for inline replies inside of notification dialogues, which is nice because it gives you the ability to do quick responses Uh, through the notification pop-up without having to load up the full chat window and that sort of stuff. Now, there's also some other features in this latest release of NeoChat. Uh, NeoChat 1.2 may be available in your distro's repositories. It also uh, is available for Flatpak if you want to check out the FlatHub and get that. Uh, But like I said earlier, I gained a new appreciation for Matrix this week because someone decided to pretend to be me on Telegram and send spam messages to people. I don't know what their goal was with that, uh, I guess to make me look like a jerk or something, but that's a silly thing to do because I, I'm I've gotten pretty good at making myself look like a jerk. I don't need any help there. Pretty good at it already. But I thought it was interesting because it made me think about you know what Matrix, how Matrix works in comparison, because Matrix makes it much easier to verify if someone is who they say they are, because it makes it a lot harder to pretend to be someone else because they have the uh, domain of the home server attached to the names of the person you're talking to. So. That's kind of nice. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about NeoChat, I'll have a link to the blog post for 1.2 in the show notes below. And if you're new to Matrix in general, uh, and you'd like to learn more about Matrix, then I will have a link uh, in the show notes for a tutorial, but getting started about using uh, Matrix and that sort of stuff, and also Element NeoChat and that kind of thing inside of the show notes from a, bl- a post that was posted on frontpagelinux.com, which is a really good article. So I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. I'm next in the show, and the last topic for today is some Humble Bundles and also a free game that's available if you want to go. i have a link in the show notes. So this is only available for the next two days or so. So if you are wanting to get this game, you need to do it quickly. And then also once you get it, you need to redeem it quickly. I'll get to that in a second. But this game is called Surviving Mars, and it's the deluxe edition is available right now for free on Humble Bundle. It's a single-player survival uh, colony sim strategy city city builder type of game with the premise of creating a colony on mars to survive makes sense surviving mars there you go that's a very apt name and there's two days left to get the game for free and once you sign up you have until the 18th to redeem it so what it means is that once you you get the you'll get a secure like a steam key that you can then redeem in steam and when you do it will be in your steam library where you can download whenever you want. And it essentially is a permanent part of your library at that point. However, you have until if once you, you have two days to get the key or sign up to get the key, then you have another six days or something anyway to redeem the key. Yes. Yeah, six days. Well, four days after the So six days from now to redeem it anyway, there you go. I've link that in the show notes and in the live chat, I'll have that linked fairly soon. Right after I finish this, this uh, topic, I will provide you the link in the chat. There's also some bundles to check out in addition to the free game. So for example, for the the games bundle, it's called Out in the Open World. There's a lot of different games in there, including Borderlands and that sort of stuff. Uh, There's also some books bundles. Uh, There's a lot of cool bundles here. There's web development and design by O'Reilly bundle. There's a Python development bundle. There's a data science and data analytics bundle from from Mercury. And there's also from Adams Media, there's a Knowledge 101 bundle. Now there's a lot of different stuff in that one, but there's a lot of cool stuff. So if you wanna learn about Python, Python development or web development and design and that kind of stuff. There's tons of bundles to check out. There's also a comics bundle for uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers bundle by Boom Studios. And I'm covering that on the show because why not? It's Morphin time and whatnot. Anyway, if you want to check it out, I have links to the bundles in the show notes. Uh, Also, just real quick, the links in the show notes will have a, a partner Affiliate tag for the show on it. So, if you wouldn't mind using those links to get the bundles and that kind of thing, it would be very beneficial for the show. I would appreciate that. A small percentage would go to me as a, you know, letting you know about it in an affiliate sense. So, if you don't mind using those links, I'll have those in the show notes below. And also, the link for the Surviving Mars is free and it will have a tag. I don't think it will do anything because it's already free. I don't think that matters, but. It'll have it there anyway because it's it's automatic when I copy links from Humble Bundle. Anyway, links in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you would like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can get the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to dealinstore.com. This is a shirt I made to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there. It probably is, and also there you can go to thedealinstore.com to get all the other stuff that is there, like T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, hats, aprons, backpacks, all sorts of stuff is there at thedealinstore.com for uh, this week in Linux stuff, Tux Digital stuff, Destination Linux stuff, Pseudo Show stuff, Gamesphere, Hardware Addicts, so much more. Check it out, dealinstore.com, and also. While You're there, check out the rest of Destination Linux network because there's a bunch of stuff. Like I mentioned, there's the pseudo show, the GameSphere, hardware addicts, Destination Linux, DLinux extend, so many great things at the Destination Linux network. Uh, so many so it's destinationlinux.network. Check it out. And also, if you like to uh, contribute to without any cost to you, you can use our affiliate links by going to slash affiliates. You can l- l- use links for Amazon, i a bundle, and Many more, all sorts of stuff there. TuckShows.com slash affiliates to help out there. And also, if you become a patron, you can be, you can join me on the live stream. That's right. We we do the show every week, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. And you can join me in the recording stadium, a part of the Skybox. It's a virtual stadium, so you really not actually join. Anyway, you get it. Go to, to, to tuxedo.com slash contribute to do that and also go to dlnlive.com to join me every week in the live stream for your weekly source for Linux good news. And you can join me and talk about that in between each episode or each topic in the episode, dlnlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael tanell with the Destination Linux Network and as always keep using, learning and enjoying Linux and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.